Dave, I know I've been spending a lot of time complaining about driving, and uh, I, I, as often happens, I, I, I have to say that I, right now I'm in, I'm in a place where I would gladly share a, a highway with a, 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 a fleet of Subaru drivers because <laughs> I, in the last couple of weeks, my wife has needed the car for work, so I've been taking public transportation to the studio. Oh, good man, good man. <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing a story, Bradley. I'm sensing as, a story. As so often happens, life handed me uh, a little comeuppance from my Subaru uh, speech uh, a little while ago, and I was taking, uh, I, what I, I, I take a bus and an elevated train out to the studio. So I went out uh, this, uh, this past week, and I went, as always happens, got right up to the bus stop just as the bus was pulling away and waited for another 15 minutes uh, for the next bus to come. The next bus comes and it's crammed. And of course, I've got my shoulder bag. I've got some uh, a bag full of uh, waters and stuff to take up to the studio. I'm all laden down with stuff. Uh, and and I'm, it's standing room only in the bus and, 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 a, and a whole bunch of kids going to school. Right. Uh, so it's it's so you're getting course, spit wads thrown at yeah, you. You're like, yeah. look at the and old I, man. You know that kind of thing. You're, it's, yeah. They're full of rambunctious energy, as well they should be. And and of course, uh, you know, it, it, it finally they get off the bus. I I get up to the uh, to the stop where I can get off and get on to the elevated train. Yep. I go up three sets of stairs to get all the way up, then across the overpass, come back down just in time to see the train pulling away. Oh, no. Now, now I'm waiting, and the next train is delayed 20 minutes because there's a mechanical problem. But that that's sounds fine. like Philadelphia. I, okay, keep I, going. I yeah. can de- handle that. The next train finally comes. I get onto that one. Luckily, that one wasn't standing room only. I was able to sit down, uh, and, and, and I go, go the several stops out to the Church Street Station. I come down just in time for a nice... It, it's just a nice Philadelphia rain, David. It wasn't... Wasn't too bad uh, walking uh, the the five or six blocks to my studio because it was only raining cats and dogs, so it wasn't wasn't as bad as I as it could have been. <laughs> just and enough to get my socks soaked. That's enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just enough to just to, to drown the local frogs sure, that would sure. hopping through the streets. Sure. And I got to the studio, walked up to the front door, and realized that I didn't have my keys. No, no. Because my Brad, my habit no. my habit is when I grab my car keys, of course no. I've got my studio keys. No, so since Brad. I didn't have my car keys, I didn't have my studio keys. So no. it took me an hour to get out to the studio oh. and an hour to come all the way back, only to walk in and uh, just like okay, I've I've wasted two hours of my day. I guess I'm working from home today. That's that's one of those mornings where you sit very still at the kitchen table, just your oh. hands flat on the table, like, well, well, I've made some choices. And you're just, no one else is home. The entire house is quiet. Your hands are palm down on the table yeah. in front of you, like like some psycho. And you're like, well, hmm, I'll just sit here for three hours, very still. You just oh, my there. God. You got all the way out there, didn't have your keys. Oh, oh I didn't realize until I walked up to the door and put my hand in my pocket to get my keys, and there was nothing oh. there. With all the love in my heart, I wish I could just have, have peeked, just a peek into the self-dialogue as you as you patted every pocket on your body and then patted every pocket on the backpack and the water bag. Oh, oh, to just get a glimpse of that self-talk of, oh, was the phrase son of a bitch used, Brad? Can one guess, can one guess what might have been used to describe oneself? I can, I can say this. If you've ever been to a large metropolitan city, city and you see somebody walking along the corner of the road and they're talking to themselves, I guarantee <laughs> that, that person... <laughs> That person was me that day. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about remembering your keys and making (laughs) comics. And the show about making a spare set of keys to go along with your septa pass, (laughs) which I did this weekend, and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc.
And I'm his friend, Dave Kellett, who has known about the idea of a second set of keys for probably 30, 40 years now. Should have told my friend Brad, maybe he didn't realize you could for a mere pittance, couple of couple of bucks make a spare key. They're kind of on every street corner in a major city. Uh, I'm also the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comic strip documentary Stripped. And this week's hour of, of comics and, and key advice is made possible by your support at Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So, Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We've got a really good show for today. Really exciting uh, set of topics. I'm excited for this. Brad gave me the rundown on the questions, and I am excited to, to go through these today with everybody. But just a reminder that you could be watching the show right now live with all of our Patreon pals and friends over at the Live Gab level. That's at Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. And the Live Gab level will give you the live stream of the show every week, which is archived in case you miss it. And it is super fun. We have a live chat going uh, uh, concurrently with the show, and we talk before, during, and after the show with folks and it's a fun fun way to experience the show and dave i gotta tell you this i just got done telling you about how i took public transportation out to the studio and the bus and the train i missed the train and all this other stuff i came back and worked from the house and you were saying you you know that we were talking about how upset just right? tears just tears streaming down his face he worked from the house by the way I got to tell you, there were not tears streaming down my face guy i had i had a couple seconds where i was kind of angry but you know what I had that Wacom one sitting there at home oh! and I knew that when I went home, I was going to grab that Wacom one. I was going to suffer professionalism working from home. I got the Wacom one. I wasn't going to suffer power working from home. I got the Wacom one. I sacrificed uh, uh, clean socks <laughs> with all the walking around in the rain I did, but that was on me. That Wacom one let me do the work from home and I was just as happy as I could be once I stopped grinding my teeth. I'll tell you what else was professional was that transition, because that gives me a chance to thank our sponsors for this week. The good folks at Wacom at W-A-C-O-M dot com, Wacom dot com, the makers of the Wacom One, which is the kind sponsor of this and every week of Comic Lab, uh, which both Brad and I use in the studio and which Brad uses as also as a backup when Brad <laughs> forgets right. that a second set of keys can exist. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say Brad's age at this point, but just a reminder, Brad, that uh, you can you can also have some phone numbers stored on your phone in case you need to contact anybody in emergencies. Just some basic life tips. Uh, you know, a couple set of Band-Aids maybe in a drawer might yeah. be a good idea in yeah. case you ever scratch yourself. Uh, so anyway, we'll go through some life tips throughout the show for Brad. Just some yeah. reminders of how to live. Just, uh, just, just how to live tips. Just a, just a basic, you know, recap on, on what it means to be a, a human in the world, Brad. Anyway, keep Keys are a possibility. A second set of keys for Brad Geiger. Just a, just a fun little pro tip. All right, so anyway, Brad, let's jump in. Uh, I got a question for you, Brad, that's coming yeah. in from Adam over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Adam writes, to our dear comics uncles, Brad. Mm. To our dear comics uncles. Comics creation is a game of visual and narrative problem solving, which is true. However, we also apply our personal taste to our work. I suspect that many new creators naturally focus on the latter, the exploration of our taste, oftentimes to the detriment of clear storytelling. With that in mind, are there one to two heuristics that beginning creators can keep in mind to avoid sacrificing clarity for artistic whimsy, both on the narrative and the visual side? All right, Brad. So uh, first of all, Heuristics. I, I got to tell you, Brad, that you, we don't often get asked a question with the word heuristic thrown in. And I got to tell you, if you are going to if you're going to hand a clown a cream pie, you are going to get that cream pie back in the face, Brad. Heuristic. yeah. Heuristics. I, I have two master's degrees and I yeah. kind of don't remember what heuristics means. It's well, something this, about learning or like the, the the strategy of learning, I think. It's, or it's like every time I and, and, and as, as, a, as a person that teaches college, every time I use the word rubric. It's it, that's another word like oh that. My it's God. like yeah, you should be punched on the street if you use the yeah, word rubric. Yeah, yeah exactly. like, like thank thank goodness we I, it's taken us how many years now to get a question with the word heuristics in it? But yeah, thank God we five. finally got somebody asking. I, I would say, why doesn't somebody ask us about heuristics? Uh, and here we are <laughs> talking about heuristics. Well, please tell me, Brad. Please tell me that you have a dictionary.com open and you have I, you have gone to heuristics for us. I do. I do. Oh, it, it's, <laughs> I was it, joking, it, but you actually did. That's oh, great. yeah. Yeah. Uh, examinings, interrogatives, questions, analytical uh, thought. Uh, uh, that's that's what we're searching and, and, and Socratic uh, examination. 
Okay. So when when Adam says, with that in mind, are there one to two heuristics that beginning creators can keep in mind? So I guess it's patterns of thinkings. It's 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 logic flows. Is that what uh, yeah, heuristics yeah. are? Okay. Um, boy, I, I always love since language is our playground. We we relish. By the way, Adam, we're we're joking only half heartedly yeah. at your expense because we love uh, the idea of learning a new word or two every yeah. day. So that's fantastic. So, um, all right, Brad, I like this idea though that um, both new and I will be honest, established creators uh, yeah. that there is a consideration. Let's put it that way about how broad to make a joke, a storyline, a character arc, or how personal, like, you know it's funny to Brad Geiger, or you know it it has yeah. meaning for Brad Geiger, but how then do you translate that, Brad, to a broader message, a more well-understood message, a more well-recognized and self-identifying for your audience message? How do you do that, Brad? And oh. how do you balance the two? I, and that's, it, 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 it's, it's actually a great question. And I don't know a hundred percent what the answer is. And I would, I would hasten to add that it's probably going to be a little bit different from every person, but let's, let's talk about this. Let's discuss this for a little bit, because what we're talking about here goes back to that mirror research, market research thing that I always talk about, right? Yes, Where I yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Mark, you know, trust your market research and business decisions, uh, and I say mirror research is always very good for creative decisions. But here we get into a question of how much mirror research, because as artists and as writers, as creators, we're always encouraged to follow your personal vision, right? Mm -hmm. That We're mm -hmm. always told that follow mm -hmm. you. And, and that's advice we often give. Follow your personal vision. Make how many times have we said make the comic that you want to see in the world? Exactly. Maybe, uh, do yes. the comic the way you think it should be done. Uh, and and by the way, that's all very good advice. But like all things, it has a limit. <laughs> and that limit just might be at some point you've got to realize that your stuff isn't connecting with an audience. It isn't uh, uh, something that other people are able to access. They're not mm -hmm. in on it. And 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 a great example is a guy that did four and a half years of a comic strip about a comic strip. Uh, that, that has starred a gargoyle that people couldn't tell was a gargoyle. And, and, and for listeners at home, Brad is referring to himself <laughs> and his own yes. body of work. Yes. It was a comic strip about you know, the whole idea was that it was about people working on a comic strip, but it was, in, but instead of doing it the way you would work on a comic strip, it was shot like a TV show. That was my personal vision. That was the story I wanted to tell. I didn't have the chops to tell that story the way it needed to be visually presented. It was way too thick to expect. Uh, I, at that point, it was uh, four panels a day on a daily update, and it was a storyline. Uh, back then, you could do it. Today, it would be impossible to do a four-panel-at-a-time storyline. Uh, but everything about it was my personal vision that just wasn't connecting. Now, yeah, yeah. throw in, Dave, uh, the fact that I was trying to learn how to write humor, right? Yeah. And there's another one where, again, we're so encouraged to say, if it's funny for you, that's all that matters. Well, no, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be funny to somebody else, except we're, aren't we? I, have you ever been in that situation, Dave? Where, And maybe you've even said it. I know I've said it at least one or two times. Okay. Where I, I, and maybe it was, you know, my nose was bent out of joint where I said, hey, I don't care if anybody else thinks it's funny. I think it's funny to me and that's all that matters. Yeah, well, I. Uh, it's funny because the, the longer I cartoon, the more I have fallen into that attitude of, I cartoon for me, but I share yeah. it with you, which yeah. is different than what I did when I started, which was I'm cartooning for you and I'm using <sighs> my personal lived experience to write to that comic, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's funny how the more established I get, the more success I guess I get that mm -hmm. I I now have the attitude of, no, I'm writing for me and I'm sharing it with you, which is a different yeah. and, and key turn in the way I phrase that. And, but, but... This, uh, this is actually a far more complicated uh, question than I thought it was at first it glance, really because is. the more I think about this. So, OK, I am absolutely 100 percent writing for me. But yeah. me, the idea of me 
is aware that I am writing for a commercial space and I'm writing right. for an audience. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm writing for me, for Dave, and yet Dave, quote unquote, is is aware of the fact that he's writing for an audience. Very much so aware. It's this multi-stage process where it is both commercial and creative yeah. that are feeding back on each other. And yet I try to write for me. And yet me is aware that I need to tone down the personality to make it broader right. at points or to make or to clarify my writing or to to be less specific to my own experience and to share it with a broader uh, touchstone that other people can relate to. You know, yeah. so I guess what I'm saying is there's there's two stages of me, the me that's writing for me and then the filter that goes, <laughs> OK, this is for me. It's writing for me. But yeah. why don't we just change these couple words here so yeah. that it's a little bit more of a broader reach? Why don't we make the specificity here? Why don't we take that out and make it a little bit more, you know, uh, more of a shared experience for all of humanity? OK, great. Mm -hmm. um, how about you, Brad? How do you approach oh. it now? Well, listen, I think that we talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago where I, I, I said comics has always been a commodity, right? We, we talk about the art of comics and all this other stuff, and that's great, but comics has always been a commodity. It's always been built to sell to someone. Right. right. It's right. It, that's that's the very heart of what comics is. And we can't take that part of it out of the process. Right. It's always got to be sellable at right. some point. Right. Otherwise, I, I mean, yes, you can look at, at, at it as an art piece, but then you also take the concept of audience uh, and, and you have to reframe that as well. Okay. So you've got, you can, you can have that attitude, but you just have to take the consequences that come along with it. What does all that mean? I think what it means is that uh, I think Dave and I would both say all of that advice that we give week after week on the show, be true to your own personal vision. Yes, that's absolutely right. Write the comic that you want to read. Yes, absolutely. But at some point you do have to take a, an objective look at what that is, how it's connecting with the audience. And there may come a time when you have to take a realistic look at what you're doing and uh, and and still tell the comic that you want to uh, share with the world, but you might have to change how you're delivering it a little bit, how you're delivering that story. Uh, yeah. And that then that can take one of many, many different ways. That could be the writing. That could be the publishing. That could be the format. That could be where you decide how you decide to present it. It could be a wide yeah. range of yeah. things. But it, it just might mean at some point you're still telling the story true to your vision, but you might have to make a little bit of adjustment in there as to how you're doing that. And, 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 and like I said, it could take a, a number of different forms to make sure that you are connecting with an audience because as important as it is for you to tell your true vision, and it is important, it's also important for you to be able to connect with an audience. And you've got to be able to bridge that gap and and make the rest of that equation happen. Let's make this really personal. If I, yeah. because art making, art sharing is uh, communication. And at its most basic level, yeah. anyone, no matter what type of relationship you are in, whether it's a professional, whether it's friendship, whether it's romantic, if you are at all good at communicating with your fellow human beings, you know that you amend the way that you are going to say a thing. You revise it ever so slightly from how you truly feel about Brad than wanting to tell Brad. And instead you say, Brad, when you do this, you make me feel right. You yeah, change yeah. the way your language to be far more passive and and and, uh, you know, uh, warmly welcoming so that Brad yeah. can come to a moment of change rather than saying, yeah. Brad, you son of a bitch you got to do the dishes i say brad <laughs> brad when you don't do the dishes you make me feel unloved right we say phrases like that a good yeah. not, not that but you get what i'm saying is that i amend what i the, right. the the core message is still the same but if i'm at all artful in how i navigate my life i amend the way i say to brad yeah. hey i need you to change or do this way in that's professional environments we do that Instead of saying, uh, instead of saying like, hey, you didn't answer my questions, you say, swinging back around, I just yep. wanted to get more clarity on the per pre previous email, right? Like that yeah. kind of thing. You change your language so that you can better interact with people. And the same is true with art. So what Brad and I, I think we're both arguing is that, yes, absolutely right for your core self, right for your enjoyment, right for the art that you want to see in the world. But with the awareness that you're not living in a bubble, 
Yes, of course, slightly amend the way you present that to the world so that you can reach a broader audience or better teach or better edify or however you want to say it uh, yeah. um, with it, with your art so that it has a better impact. Now, as far as heuristics go, if oh, I were to offer ding, 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 I, ding, ding. That's our, our <laughs> word of the day, heuristics. If I were to offer a rubric for uh, for going about this, the answer to the question is that that this is not math. This is not this is not quantifiable. I, yes. I, I wish yes. I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. And and this this is a story as old as as comics itself. From the very beginning of Web Comics Weekly, what was the question we got? How many page views do I need before I'm successful? People wanted a number, right? How many unique visitors a month do I have before I launch a T-shirt? We all, we're always looking for numbers. We're always looking for something quantifiable. And the sad and and truthful matter uh, of the of the situation is this: there there are none. This is art that we're talking about. This is communication. Yes, this yes. is this is something that is that you have to take on a feel basis. You and and, and it's something that you've also got to be. And this is the hardest part. You got to be honest with yourself because since there are no numbers, since I can't tell you that there's a number you've got to hit and then you're you're successful. Since I can't give you that, you've got to take it as an objective look at yourself and. So many times uh, we're very, very forgiving of our own faults, if not blind to our own faults. Otherwise, I couldn't have spent four and a half years on a comic that was not connecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. couldn't have. I was not being honest with myself for a right. long, long time. It took it took me that uh, convention appearance in Toronto that I've told you about in the past where literally I spent three days with nobody stopping by my table yeah, before yeah. I realized, hey, I don't think this is working out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got to come to that on your own. I can't give you a heuristic. The heuristic doesn't exist. Stop saying heuristic. Now you're just rubbing <laughs> it in that you, you have the dictionary in front of you. I can't give you a strategy. The strategy doesn't exist. Yeah. What you've got to do is get a feel for how your work is connecting with people. And, and that's on any number of things the, the responses you're getting on social media, are you getting emails? Are you gaining traffic on your website? Are you getting more followers? Stuff like that. Uh, did you do a Kickstarter? Did it go over? Did it not go over? Like I, I always tell you, Kickstarter is free market research. That's another one, yeah, right? Yeah. You've got to take all of those. And the most important thing you've got to take is time. You've got to take your time. See how this lands with people. See how it lands with people over time. There's no quick fix. There's no quick, there's no shortcut. There's no making your first post and your, uh, it has the, the, the maximized amount of followers. Yes, yeah. There's none of that. This right. stuff takes time. Yeah. I actually, I still have a lot of thoughts on this that I want to keep sharing yeah. more about this. So to the people out there listening, going, no, I don't need to, I don't need to make market considerations or I don't need to yeah. make artist considerations. I write yeah. for me. I yeah. get that. Brad gets that. We understand that. I, with Drive, I largely do operate from that standpoint and then adjust it at the last minute in terms of script for an audience. But I get, I understand and get writing for yourself. And I want to say for those people, you can take the path yeah. of writing just for yourself, Right. Uh, Emily Dickinson never, I mean, she shared it with maybe one, two people her whole life. Right. Uh, Leaves of Grass. I don't know that more than two people saw Leaves of Grass before Walt Whitman died, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, Bill Watterson's current paintings. He's got enough money now where he can just not have to share it with anybody. Yes, you can live a life where you create your art for you. And absolutely, that has value. It, it builds a better life for you. Brad and I are just saying that once you accept that you want to have your art get out into the world and impact other people, that that is when you have to start adjusting your footfalls in terms of, of how do I say this? Is there a better way to approach this so that a broader number of people can understand or get what I'm trying to say here? That it's yeah. not just for you. So yes, you can create just for you uh, and that's it. But the odds are that relatives are going to find your poetry after you die and go, yikes, I'm glad they never shared this. <laughs> More likely than they go, wow, we've got to publish this. Emily Dickinson right. was really good. There's 10,000 right. bad versions versus the one Emily Dickinson is what I'm getting yeah. at there, right? Yeah. Because something about 
the consideration of other people reading your work modifies and in some ways improves your writing towards the universality yeah. of human existence, right? You're, yeah. It's less personalized and, and less specific to, well, I didn't know that person in high school, so I don't get that joke. Or I never yep. went to this geographic location, so I don't get that joke. So you broaden it out and you make it more universal. And in so doing, it becomes actually better art in, in many respects, right? Yeah. Um, so that's one thought. The other thought is it's interesting when someone who has established a level of success says, shine my audience, I'm writing more specific to me. And I have two really interesting and very different examples of artists that did that. They had a generally accepted talent with a language that was modified for their audience. And mm -hmm. then they went, nope, I'm writing more specific to me. The first one is BC. And we've made this joke before. The comic strip wow. BC yeah. Um, uh, I think once he uh, once he had a moment of of sort of personal revelation and got very religious in his life, mm -hmm. there was a lot of Jesus jokes in BC, a comic we've talked about that was before <laughs> Christ. It makes no sense. It's, it's it right makes, there in the title. It makes no sense. What I'm getting yeah. at is that's such a specific personal writing into yeah. a comic strip for which it was not constructed or built to do that. Right. Yeah. I think I think the the one heuristic that we can give is balance. I think it all comes down to balance. I, I think, I think, yes, you have to tell your story, tell the story that, that, that you, uh, you want to make the comic that you want to make. Yes, yes, yes. To all of those things. But you also have to balance that with a certain amount of, is, of market research where you yeah. say, is this connecting? Am I, am I telling a story that people want to read? Am I telling it in a way that they want to read it? Mm-hmm. All of those things. I think it comes down to balance. I think this is uh, this is one of those issues that you really have to find where that lands in the middle for you. And that means probably doing it wrong for a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah right? probably does. Doing, yeah. Uh, erring a little bit too, too mirror, sometimes error a, a little bit too market. Because let's face it, in the same way that we've just had a lot of examples of people relying on their mirror too much, we can also, and, and this, we can come up with a number of these people that relied too much on the market without enough of the mirror. Right. Yeah, and that yeah. comes. And, and by the way, because then I, you get too generalized to the point of bland or, or un, oh, unnecessary, you know, like and, it's and, like, and, and spiritless. Uh, spiritless speaking, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. speaking of mistakes that I've made, I'll give you another one from my personal uh, history. Uh, this was in the early, early days back in the 90s. Uh, Greystone in had just I started out with Greystone maybe a couple of years and I, and newspapers were still a thing. And I was still uh, considering newspaper syndication because newspapers hadn't faced the big decline yet. I, right. You could see it on the horizon, but it, it, they hadn't faced the big decline. And I was preparing. I don't know that I've ever told you this, Dave. I prepared a newspaper syndicate submission that was going to be a spinoff of uh, Greystonian, and I had read one of these stories about the boomeranger generation. Do you remember okay. this? The no, boomeranger. That these were kids that went off to college, got their degree, and then they boomeranged back and lived with mom and dad. Sure, which is actually more and more common now. It's not so much of a thing, just because we've built a society society where kids don't get paid enough with their first post college right. job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because of because of economics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But back in the nineties, this was a new concept. This was just starting to happen. They called it the boomerang generation. And so I came up with a comic idea based on people that I had already developed in my comic Greystone Inn, and I developed a syndicate pitch for basically this very syndicate. In fact, I might've even called it, you know, boomerangers or whatever. It was, it was about this young guy that comes back to live with mom and dad. Uh, it, it wasn't my experience. It wasn't like I, my kids were toddlers at this point. I didn't do it. My kids were years from uh, the possibility of doing it. Uh, I had no personal passion. Yeah. I had literally built this on a newspaper article about demographics. And I said to myself, there's a demographic and newspaper editors are always looking for demographics. I could, I could lock this demographic up. The problem was I didn't give two shits about the story I was writing. I didn't care about the jokes. I didn't care about the characters. I 
cared about hitting a demographic. In other words, where we've been talking all this time about hitting your mirror too hard and telling the story that you want to tell. Right. Uh, I hit the market too hard and I didn't care about the story. Yeah. <laughs> I just cared about the economics. I just cared about the, the, the audience side. I didn't have, and by the way, I wrote a bunch of crap. It, it was horrible. It didn't work uh, because I had the balance all on the other side too. So this is one of those cases where I'm going to say, and it's very specific. We're talking about uh, uh, ideation and creation of art. This is a very specific case where I'm going to say you want to try to find a balance of the mirror and the market. Because and 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 just like I did, you might have to spend a few years doing it wrong on either side of the scale. Yeah, and and uh, lest you think that Brad and I have that figured out, it is still a dance that we have to do on a day to day basis, and yes. occasionally get wrong. Like I sometimes I will do a comic, and I can tell people like, "What? This is way. Is this Dave? Are you trying to communicate something, Dave? Is something wrong at home? Like what's like? Yeah, clearly, I yeah. got way too specific. Like maybe no one else has that problem with butter knives or whatever. Whatever the joke yeah. is that I've made, you know, and so um. So, yes, it can swing both ways. And, yes, it's still a problem that we have after 20, 25 years of cartooning. Yeah. Um, but it's like as Brad made an earlier point, and I want to just reiterate this. It's it's not engineering. It's not like we can yeah. plug in the numbers and say, oh, well, the load bearing beam of a 25 inch maple beam can hold, you know, so much. And then, you know, how you how far you can build. I mean, it's it's a lot of it is by feel and by trial and error. And so. The method that I would use to to describe for a new cartoonist or a young cartoonist is first draw from your heart. Right. Yep. If you're going to err on the side of one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you have to choose market versus mirror, choose yeah. mirror right for yeah. you. A, because you're in a learning process. Your audience is not that big anyway. Yeah. And if you write for you with a passion that triggers you, you're going to keep cartooning. You'll do tomorrow's yes. if you enjoy yes. the process of today's. So write for you and keep an eye as you go on how you can make gentle modifications to what is a very specific choice. So you can more generalize that thought, that communication out to a broader audience, right? Let your filters start to impact your work slowly and 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 see how you do. And I'm going to add one more heuristic to that, and, and it's this. Every chance you get, become a member of your audience. And there's one way that you can do that, and that is to read old, old stuff that you wrote. Yes. Right? Yes. And I, I, I'm a big proponent of this. You've heard me say it on the show many, many times, but- because what happens is like you like that butter knife joke that you wrote, Dave. Right. And you were like in a very specific place. Yes. Well, at some point you're going to be in a different headspace. So if you wait enough time and you let enough time go by, you can actually join the audience because you'll be in a different headspace yeah. and you'll be in a neutral headspace and you will have forgotten what you wrote about. Right. You, you got to let a few weeks, maybe some months go by to really read that clean with a with a fresh set of eyes. Yes. You've completely forgotten what you wrote and how you wrote it. And that's the only way that you can really see your mistakes is is to is to have some really old stuff that you're reading again from the first time. Right. Because then with with the passage of time, the subjective falls away and then you're looking at it with objective eyes. And yep. and that's when it really becomes clear. Oh, I wrote this too specific. Oh, I wrote this too generalized and it was spiritless. Yep. Um, so you can see one way or the other as to how it fell down. So uh, anyway, Adam, I, I thank you for this question, because my yeah. God, this turned out to be a really long and interesting conversation about this. And uh, I actually have more we could say, but I want to say more than anything else, uh, Adam, Thank you for giving Brad the new toy of the word heuristic because I noticed <laughs> I noticed Brad dropping that in every se every second sentence. That one, oh God, we're gonna get off this podcast and get on the phone later on. He's be like, "Well, all right, I'm off to do my heuristics for the day." Like, God damn it, Brad! You can't use it every with every sentence. Oh, geez. Uh, but I can try. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. 
No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Dave, I wanted to start the second half of the show with a little update. We were talking about Kickstarter's problems with their blockchain announcement. Uh, our update is, is a short while ago uh, that Kickstarter CEO Aziz Hassan was stepping down. Uh, he's not going to be the CEO of Kickstarter any longer. Instead, the COO, Sean Lau, L-E-O-W, will be the interim CEO and that a search for a permanent replacement is already underway. Uh, this is interesting in light of the whole uh, discussion and kerfuffle around using blockchain and perhaps using yeah. crypto on, on Kickstarter. So we'll see where that goes. They, the, As far as I could read on that media release, they had said that they were still committed to that path. Yeah. Uh, although it sounds to me like this was highly related, this stepping down, didn't it to you? The timing was very suspicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, I think that, I think that was I, I, I don't know that you can separate those two things. It, it seems pretty, pretty relevant. And and I mean, the whole thing is that that they're still going to kind of go down that path, but they're they're keeping it separate. They're being very careful about how they're doing it, uh, but they're still going to be pursuing this as, as far as my understanding of what's going on, uh, but it definitely definitely had ramifications for the CEO. The, the the thing that this raised a question for me is: Do you notice we haven't heard anything more about Gumroad, which was a similar situation, right? In fact, they oh, yeah. they took a much more uh, antagonistic response to uh, people pushing back on blockchain, and uh, nothing's ha- I, I I haven't heard anything new on the on that front. Well, my spidey senses tell me that a, uh, a a press professional was brought in and the old rule of, you know, press press relations 101 is stop digging, which yeah. is why we sort of have radio silence. You know, if you're if you're creating a problem, at least stop digging. And I think that's what happened with Gumroad is that they just said, go quiet for a while. Let three, six, nine yeah. months go by and then you can start talking about things again. Uh, but yeah, you're right. And then the other update we have, and this is our famous mid-show update where we correct, amend, or revise things that were said a mere 10 minutes ago earlier in oh, the show. One of, those. <laughs> one of those, yes. And so as we've already learned from the show, and this is involving no one reading uh, from a dictionary online, that heuristics are mental shortcuts that can facilitate problem solving and probability judgments. Since we already knew that already off the cuff and didn't need to re- read that as a definition, That's I should right. mention that during the break, uh, Brad... Uh, advised me that he has now connected his spare key to his uh, public transportation card. Yeah. So look at Brad using heuristics <laughs> over here like a college I got my professor. Own heuristics. That's hey, right. He's got his own problem solving and his own way of figuring out a solution <laughs> and probability <laughs> judgments that he will now have his key with him. So good job, Brad, on your heuristics. I loved when Annie Lennox used to uh, sing with the heuristics. They, they were a really great uh, 80s pop. Uh, I love them. I, I got to tell you, though, I went to uh, my ophthalmologist and he said that was my big problem was my heuristics. So you had he, heuristics problems? Yeah. yeah. They give yeah, you eye drops for that now. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a whole it's a whole thing. I had to get glasses. Well, Brad, let me jump us into our next question coming in from patreon.com slash comic lab from Tikaka. And they write, hi, comics uncles. I'd like to ask you about line weight. Uh, well, uh, I've <sighs> used felt tip pens, dip pens, brush pens fountain pens, and digital. That is pretty much the full gamut. And I'm still searching for the perfect line weight variety. My lines have fluctuated between boringly flat, same thickness, to the line weight varying so much that the drawings become illegible. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's an interesting way to describe that. You both have really good, engaging line art that is still clear to read. How do you decide where to lay the thicker lines and how much to vary? What tools do you use? Do you switch tools between lines or use just one? Does your digital art rely as much on swish, control Z, whoosh as mine does? And for those that don't know, that's the sort of thing where you make one line, you hit control Z, you make the same line again, hit control Z. Third time's a charm. That one works. You move on to the next line. Uh, So share your secrets, Takaka says. Thanks for the great show. It's a joy every time. Brad, this is a fun question. I do love an art question on the show. Uh, So how do you best describe how you have found your line weight that is perfect or have you yet found your perfect line weight? Oh, 
Well, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know. I, I'll know in a few years if I found my perfect line weight. But uh, until then, I can tell you this. I think that line weight, as far as doing, you know, black and white uh, uh, line art uh, in previous to being colored. In other words, most of the kind of art that you look at in comics, I think line weight is one of the most crucial areas to really make your art uh, sparkle and make your art uh, communicate. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of of having lines that vary so much that it's illegible, I totally get that. Yeah. The big the bigger problem you see in a lot of pro am comics is just the opposite. They have no variance in the line. All the lines are pretty much the same width, and it gives you that effect of what I call a coloring book art. Right. It's 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 yes. art that looks like it's it's built for a coloring book. It's got those big thick lines. Uh, I, I, I want to encourage you to take a, a fresh look at your art sometime this week and look at whether your lines have enough variance. Uh, there's two areas that I really try to concentrate on line art uh, in terms of the different weight. And that is uh, for starters, uh, that's going to be light and shadow. I'm going to try to indicate a little bit of shadow in certain places by a heavier line. And opposite those areas, obviously, those lines are going to be lighter where the light's hitting. I like to indicate light and shadow with my line. And just as a real clear uh, uh, um, description of that, if you're drawing a ball, a sphere, the side of the sphere closer to the sun would be a very thin line. The side of the sphere farthest from the sun would be a a very heavy side of the ball. So it'd be a thick line on the one side, a thin side on the other. Sorry, keep going, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is, that's a really quick way to kind of level your art up very quickly is just to kind of think about light and shadow when you're drawing that line. And then another thing is a difference between an outline and a detail line. This is one that's really super important. Uh, The outline line has to be somewhat heavier than the detail line. The line that describes the shape all the way around the character has to be a little bit heavier. And then the lines that might indicate uh, the mouth, the eyes, the wrinkles around the eyes. Oh, the, I see what you mean. Yes, yes, the, yes. The, 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 the laugh lines, uh, so on and so forth. Those detail lines have to be much, much finer, much, much uh, thinner, uh, still strong enough to hold up. But uh, they've got to be a, a noticeably different than the outline lines, because if those two lines are too similar, it flattens your art out immediately. Yeah. It's just, yeah. No matter how good the coloring is, your art is flat if there's not a variance between the outer line that describes the big shapes and the little lines that define the fine details. That's right. So the, the question now is, how do you get this? And uh, um, there's a couple different strategies you can use. Um, one is the Bill Watterson method. You can yeah. get a Winsor Newton 7 Sable. It's no longer uh-huh. Sable, obviously, because those are real bad for Sables. But yeah. um, uh, you can get a Winsor Newton Faux Sable, like a 7, and or or perhaps like a, 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 a Charles Schultz Quill, right? Yeah. Um, and Quill Point. And that kind of... Um, physical medium will give you a variance uh, that you cannot recreate with a mechanical or or a, a nib type uh, ink pen. Uh, yeah. It just can't do it. Um, and and so you'll you'll see immediately with a with a Winsor Newton seven. Oh, I my line with the with the merest uh, you know one billionth of an ounce more pressure, I get an infinitely darker line, right? And so your line your line becomes more alive with a Winsor Newton or with a quill pen. Here's the problem: mm-hmm. it's hard to reproduce the exact uh, look that you want without practice. It's going to take you years. That's so that's step number one, right? The other one is to do that digitally because you can obviously control it a little bit more and you can go from having, you can have the same kind of a brush tip pen digitally that you can control. So if, if a 30 tip is not working for you, you try 25, 25 is still too big. You go down to 20 and you can vary it up and down, up and down, depending on how much control you need. Right. Yep. So that's another one. Um, another technique that you can do is the Al Hirschfeld technique, which is you build a line using thousands of little lines. Yeah. Um, and that's where you if like you have one. Yeah, I, I use this one myself where um, you, if you draw as I do with Sheldon, um, 
where it's analog, it's ink on paper. Yeah. I use a, a Micron Pigma pen, but if you ever watch one of my live streams or see a video, there's probably one of me drawing somewhere online. Uh, you can see that I create a line using 10 dit, 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 dit lines yeah. to create that curve. And then I'll turn the paper or switch my wrist and go, dit, 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 and there's the next 10 lines, right? Whereas you watch Waterson draw and he, you know, one dip of the, pe uh, the brush and it's whoop, 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 whoop. Yep, and all of, all of Calvin's done, you know? And so uh, it's very different ways to build a line. Mm -hmm. uh, both of us though, uh, both Brad and I would say that you wanna 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 avoid that um, that coloring book look because yeah. it has a lifelessness to it. I would rather have you be a few years of being, as you say, illegible, mm -hmm. but working towards a more interesting and varied line art than staying and, and leaning towards the uh, a cartoon book look, the, the coloring book look. Yeah. And meanwhile, if you're working digitally, one trick that you can have is to adjust the pressure sensitivity of your drawing instrument, right? You can make it more sensitive. If you're having trouble getting the line to be varied, you can make it more sensitive. So it's going to pick up greater differences between your hand pressure and that's going to affect your line. Right. Or if you're if you're having problems on the other side and, uh, you know, it, it, you can also decrease the sensitivity. If you're having too much variance, uh, you can decrease the sensitivity a little bit and, and uh, bring that in somewhat so that your lines don't get out of control. And I will. Can I can I jump yeah, in on that, ahead. Brad? Because I just did this yesterday, actually. Yeah. Um, when I, I want to say that adjusting the digital controls of your of your sensitivity is a little bit sometimes like the controls on your shower. Yeah. Where you have a 180 degree <laughs> yeah. potential turn, <laughs> right? Yeah. Of of how far you could turn the knob, but really only one to two degrees are right. radically important to you, <laughs> and everything else is you know, yeah. like you turn one eighth of a of an inch on a on a shower controller, and suddenly you're in hell, and you turn yeah. the other way, and suddenly you're in Antarctica, and so the same sometimes is true with sensitivity because we're all so specific in our drawing yeah. that. You change the sensitivity settings one one iota and you'll notice a difference. I promise you, yeah. if you get in the right range, you'll notice a difference. So that's a great tip from Brad. Yeah, you don't have to change it much. And yeah. and do your here's here's my experience. I changed the pressure sensitivity. I put my stylus to the tablet and immediately I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And I change it right back. And yeah. give yourself a little bit of time to get used to the new sensitivity. Uh, and, and, and taking Dave's advice, just change it a little bit and then take my advice and stick with it for a little while before you immediately recoil in horror and yeah. say, oh, this is horrible. This is terrible. Uh, but but it is something that that it, I, I'm glad that you're uh, that this is on your radar because I really do think it's one of the most important things that uh, doesn't get talked about nearly enough is is good quality line art. And, 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 it, and it's too bad because there's a lot of people doing some good work with some dead lines and that just, I, and I know it's not, it, it's not making that visual impact that it could be making. Uh, and, and it's just, it, it, it breaks your heart. It's, it's like, pay attention to your line. Yeah. And I will say this is that it's uh, be prepared that the, and you already know this because of the, the nature of your question, but be prepared that this is a process when you're working yeah. analog it's a years long process to master a brush or mm -hmm. master a quill or even frankly master a mechanical type nib pen because they all have their own quirks and idiosyncrasies. And it's not an overnight thing where you're like, now I'm good and yeah. I, I've, I've learned the brush, right? Yeah. And I would say that uh, Photoshop in the last two or three years, their brush variability has gotten amazing because they hired and they brought in 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 shop there. Oh, now I'm blanking on his name, but a, a, a genuine master of, of digital brushes. And so the the archive library of brushes available to you now in um, the cloud of Photoshop is amazing. And really, you should spend a Saturday just doodling on. And I'm Brad yeah. probably could see, say the same for CSP, but mm -hmm. just doodling in Photoshop because there's so many brushes. And when you find the right one, it's revelatory. You're like, oh, yeah. this is the brush I've been looking for. And there, you'll you'll start to spot what kind of designs as digital brushes. When you'll see them in the way they're designed, you're like, nope, I want more of a flare at the end. Or no, yep. I need a heavier, chunkier line. This one's not for me. And so you'll get better within an hour. You'll say, oh, I, now I know what type of brush I'm looking for. And then your hunt right. will get more specific. But anyway, a Saturday of sketching with digital uh, brushes from Photoshop uh, is, a, is a great way to spend your day. Yeah.
That person whose name you were trying to think of, was it Frendon by any chance? Uh, no, but it was the other brush designer, oh, okay. I think. There's because two that, that are very good. That was my next suggestion. Do check out Frendon. Uh, and, and, and I think it's just F R E N D E N. Yeah. But friend uh, makes beautiful brushes. Yes. And they're, and, and, and they make brushes for uh, Photoshop as well as clip studio. And those, and if for my money, those are some of the best, just meat and potatoes, inking brushes and penciling brushes that you could possibly get for digital. I love my friend and brushes. It's, and, and they're very affordable. It's, this is not a out of reach uh, uh, thing. You can, you can very easily make uh, justify making that investment to get yeah. some good brushes. And then the final thing that I want to talk about is how working digitally has changed absolutely the way how I draw for the better. And that is the, the question asker asked about, you know, uh, drawing a line and then erasing it, drawing a line, undo, drawing a line, undo. I do that all the time. And I, and I don't, I, in fact, not only do I draw a line, maybe three times undoing it every time until I get the right line. Mm -hmm. I don't think twice about it because the important thing is getting that line right. I also draw as much with my eraser as I do with my pen. Have you found yourself doing this? You know, I do actually. Like I and find I really am drawing with my eraser or, you know, uh, getting a line shaped up or just uh, uh, getting something pushed into where it needs to be. I'm drawing as almost as much with my eraser as I am with my pen. Yeah, and I will say this too. There's little tricks you can do too where you know you need a big energy line, but you have, you're introducing it onto an already complicated and overly drawn space. Yeah. So you can just create a new layer for that yeah. single line, yes. right? That you need to be a high energy line, mm -hmm. erase it down to where it needs to go to Brad's point, and then flatten yep. those two layers again if you want, you know? Like oh, yeah. let, let digital process be your friend in terms of if you need to do a high energy line that's a big swoop that would otherwise complicate and, and overdraw, you can make a new layer, do the big swoop, erase it down, bada bing, bada boom. Bob's yep. your uncle, as they say in Britain, Brad. <laughs> that's right. But uh, congratulations on on uh, being cognizant of uh, line weight, because I really do think that it's uh, one of the most important things uh, in comic art that you could possibly do to make your work uh, visually connect. So I'm, I'm glad you're thinking about it. Yeah. And, and really the personal heuristics of, of brush maintenance and, and line work is going to be, it's going to be one of the more interesting journeys you have yeah, on your own, on your own. Absolutely. Comics. So, Dave, I've got a question for you. Uh, this is this is a topic that I am bringing to the table uh, because I found out through the Comic Lab Discord server. Uh, this is still a thing. This is. Do you remember those top website list sites? There used to be a few of them where where basically from like, you from would, like the late nineties. Yeah, where okay. basically you would say to your readers on your website when you read the comic, vote for it by clicking this button. It takes them over to that website. It registers a vote. And of course, the more votes you get, the higher your banner ad uh, appears on this whole website. That's nothing but banner ads for web comics. And of course, right. the, the, the goal is to get higher and higher. Uh, and, and it was supposedly that's going to generate traffic uh, by people clicking those banner ads and coming back to your site, discovering your work as it were. Uh, and I just wanted to know uh, from you, uh, these, these have been around, these sites have been around for a long time. Uh, did you ever participate in this? Is it something you would consider to participating in today? Uh, what are your thoughts on the top webcomic list sites? Well, I'm glad you asked me this, but can yeah. can I take a, a small journey to tie in a separate topic that I that sure. I'd like to introduce into the conversation? Sure. So for those that haven't yet done it, if you haven't yet taken out a paid ad in your local telephone book, this is a great time <laughs> to to find success in cartooning by taking out a television or a paid ad in your local oh. phone book. Now, listen, yeah. the phone book is a is obviously it's big, it's heavy, it's chunky, but it's where you want to be. Yeah. It's where yeah. business is found. It's and so. What you want to do, Dave, is let your fingers do the walking. 
That's right, Brad. Let your fingers do the walking, to yeah. coin a phrase. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Brad, exactly. So listen, uh, now listen, people need a plumber. They know where to go. That phone book right. is right there. That's people why need I to call know, my uh, comic Triple A Comics because it's, right. it's, it's first yeah. on the list on the yellow pages. Brad, you're so far ahead of me on all of these. Yes, yes, and yes. Let your fingers do the walking. You're going to want to yeah. use a heavily A name at the front, yes. maybe Triple A Plumbing, Triple A yeah. Veterinary Services, whatever you can do. You know, uh, it's a little bit, a little seedier when you're a lawyer and you're like Triple A Law Firm. That's kind of weird. Um, but yes, all that works. The phone book is where you want to be. And that's yeah. my advice for this week, Brad. Yeah. How about you? I'll tell you what, I, I, I am not a fan of these uh, sites. Uh, I kind of didn't know that they were still around. As, oh, I, neither I'm did I. Neither, and, and, and there are some people that really are kind of like, no, no, I still think that there's something there. Uh, you've got to make me believe that before I would put any amount of time into this, the first thing I've got to believe, uh, and I don't, by the way, I really don't believe this, but I would have to believe that there's a significant number of people that go to that website looking for web comics to read. And then they're going, oh, here's one that's at the top. It must be very good. I'll click mm -hmm. that one and read it. Or maybe they'll peruse down a little bit. I've, you've got to make me believe that there's a significant number of actual uh, web comics readers, not other web comics creators who are checking out the competition, but actual web comics readers right. who are going to these sites looking for things. And we know from several years, from over a decade of social media dominated internet, we know that that's not how people go out and consume content anymore or they find content. Yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah. In the early two thousands, people were foragers. They were foraging for things. And, and, and maybe this top web comics uh, uh, list uh, place had uh, a place at that time. But today people are getting a steady stream of too much content, more content that they could possibly consume. And it's coming through Twitter. It's coming through Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you name it. Plus any of those comics that they discovered through those places that they might have, let's say, bookmarked or have different ways of, of following those updates, uh, whether it's on Webtoons or on the person's own site. Uh, we know that people don't consume content that way anymore and haven't for decades or at least a decade. Uh, right. that's, I, you, you'd have to first make me believe and the only way you could do it with it would be with a hammer. If you if you if you hit me hard enough in the forehead, you might make me believe that there are people going to those sites looking for things to read. Uh, so the I first tell you what to teach Brad something with a hammer. That's a hell of a heuristic approach. Is <laughs> yeah. we're gonna we're gonna hammer it home with yeah. Brad. I'm trying out these new heuristics with Brad. It's called <laughs> it's called a Black and Decker. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but let's say let's say you bought in that far. Let's say that somebody used a hammer on you and you believe that this is happening. Let's take a look at, at, at how web comics actually work today and what you're doing. So the whole thing you've got to do. Yeah, this and, is what and, I was going to get into. I, I think you're about to walk down the yeah. path that I'm interested in. Yes. Keep so going. now you, you've got your comic, you're on the website or, or you're doing this through social media, however it is you're doing this. And you're telling yeah. people on a daily basis, hey, don't forget. When you read my comic, vote for me on this top web comic list. Vote yes, for me. You've got yes. a prominent vote button somewhere this is my prominent on this. your site. Yes. Vote for me. Do this. Do, and it's every day. It's every day. Vote for me. Vote for me. Ah, vote for me. Yes. And then you even see, I don't know whether, you, uh, whether you're familiar with this, They certain people, certain comics artists will even uh, uh, give them a voting incentive. If you click the vote button, you will unlock maybe a bonus panel or an exclusive comic. Comic or some kind of prize that you're getting uh, incentivized for clicking that vote button. Uh, and then you go over and, and, and a vote is registered. And also, by the way, I don't know which site you're looking at, but so I, I, I reviewed these not too long ago. There was a couple of them that, that I, I, I don't want to make any allegations, but let's put it this way. If I found out later on that they were gaming the system somehow, they were you somehow gaming surprised. the votes. If I found out they were doing that, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't, you wouldn't knock me over uh, with a feather is I guess is what I'm trying to say. Say if some of these votes were being gamed, you could just kind of tell with common sense and looking at them that somebody's playing the system. Uh, now, this is the game that you're playing. You're, 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 
see if this sounds familiar. You've got repeated outreach. You've got repeated uh, uh, contact with your reader. You've got incentives. You've got exclusives. You've got bonuses. For the love of Pete, you've got a Patreon campaign there that you ain't getting paid for. The whole thing is you've got a Patreon campaign to get on a banner that's being rigged and you're getting nothing out of it. Uh, I mean, this is where my frustration builds with this is that when you have captured a reader, right? Like, yeah. You have a new reader and you're you have you've you've done all the work to make them loyal. They're coming yeah. to your comic or they're getting it by email or they're doing whatever. They are lo- they're enjoying your comic. It's working, yeah. right? Yeah. But here's the thing. What you're getting with that reader is a certain amount of personal currency that you can spend. Yes. You can ask them to do X number of things. And if you're going to ask them to waste it on voting on <sighs> a top web comic, you're reducing the amount of currency that you can spend to ask them to back a Kickstarter or right. ask them to get your new book or right. ask them to to go to Patreon and support you or ask them to actually spread the word in a way that would be helpful. Yes. So you're spending down your currency with this reader. And and I don't even know what you're gaining, because to Brad's point, who the hell is searching for new things to read off a website thing that was from 1999 that yes. I didn't even know if it was that effective in 1999, yes. to be honest, you know? Yeah. So, these websites have like all the ranking interest that like a Webtoons has without any of the benefits of being able to actually read the thing that Webtoons has or in yes. a, a clear format. It always looks like a, a web design from from 10 years ago for another thing. I haven't looked at them in a long time, but at least yeah. that's how they used to look. I, I just see that this is a waste of your currency that you have earned with the hard work and with good comics with your readers that you're asking them to spend in the wrong way. Right. Because you've been you've been asked, you've been after them day after day after day. Vote for me. Vote for me. Vote for me. When it comes time to say, hey, here's my Kickstarter. It's time for you to make a pledge. That reader is saying, I've been voting for you every day for X number of months. Now I got to make a pledge too. you cannot be surprised that your crowdfunding outreach is negatively affected by the fact that you've been after this reader every day, day after day after day, telling them to vote. At some point, the reader says, I've done enough. All I wanted to do was read a comic. <laughs> I didn't want this much of a commitment. I got to click this. I got to do that. I got to go here. I got to go there. You've, like Dave said, it was the perfect way of saying it. You wasted your currency on crap, crap that ain't going to develop into anything. You waste, when it, when you should have been uh, building cr- uh, community, when you should have been uh, making that into a uh, crowdfunding direction, uh, you wasted it on this thing that's giving you nothing. I, I, I cannot, I cannot uh, advise strongly against participating in this. There's also, there's at least on my part, there was always the perception of an insularity in terms of the community of these places which is like it, it always felt like the only people that were going there or checking it or looking at it yeah. were the same 100 to 200 participants of the yes. thing. You know what I mean? Yes. Everybody checking so, out the competition. Similar, but not even not even in this regard, but similar to how the R comics is on Reddit, which is like yeah. it's that's different, though, because there are people that genuinely enjoy comics and you can actually read the comics on that subreddit. Right. Like right. so you actually are getting good voted up entertainment on that. Whereas this is just the same 100, 200, 300 people all doing a dance is like now I'm 48. Now I'm 47. Hooray. Yeah. Now I'm 45. This yeah. is what a great week I'm having. You know, that kind of, and it but, doesn't but, matter but, until you're number 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. And you're never going to get there because those people have got that locked up. And also, to again, to the point, there's a, it's insular. Like, it feels like you're only being shown to the same 300 people who are also participating. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just, I don't know that this is outreach in the way that you want it to be outreach. Uh, to Brad's point, it's just, it's it, 10 years past where people out foraging for yeah. things to read in a way that these kind of sites tried to anticipate, mm-hmm. but, uh, but no longer. I mean, nobody's like, if I, Brad, suddenly am interested, I don't read mysteries, but if I suddenly wanted to read mysteries, am I looking up something like top mystery books that, and that, that are self voted by the art, like they're promoted <sighs> yeah. by the art, the, the author and their audience. It would just be weird. It wouldn't, you yeah. wouldn't find it that way. You know, like that's not like, think it through. That's not how people find things. Yeah, no, I not only that, but like I said, I really do think not only is it is it kind of wasted space, I think it's an actual negative effect. I think it's a detriment on your audience building. I, and and I, absolutely, I believe it's a detriment on your crowdfunding 
uh, if you're doing this. Yeah, uh, because, I, I'm sincere about currency. You have yeah. a certain amount that you can, once you've built up the loyalty, the kindness, the thankfulness that you have entertained someone, right? Yeah. That's a certain currency that you can spend. And if you choose to spend it on this, it is frankly a waste of money. Like it's not what you want to, to get for, oh. for all the work that you've put into that comic. Oh, and I'll tell you another thing. I've used up all of my currency in another episode of the Comic Lab podcast because I got nothing else to give. It's time for me <laughs> to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Well, and as always, we thank you for tuning into our heuristic-based learning experience here. <laughs> Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the head heuristic editor of webcomics.com and the heuristic creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my friend Dave Kellett, who takes heuristics so uh, personally that he only accepts organic heuristics because he's only into holistic heuristics. And he's uh -huh. the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. I'm now thinking this is something I need to have my urologist check that my heuristics are wrong. <laughs> the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net, and this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab, so we'll go ahead and say that twice, patreon.com Flash, still don't know what heuristics means. <laughs> <laughs>Oh, Dave, I, I found a book. You, you were talking about uh, learning more about heuristics. And I, I did I did look this up on Amazon.com. It's a guide that's going to help you out. It's called it's, it's actually by Dr. Seuss. Horton, here's a heuristic. <laughs> it's just Horton wearing a little a little uh, 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 smoking jacket with the leather patches on the elbow. <laughs> yeah, with a little little pipe. He's walking through his college class looking for heuristics. Left looking and right. for heuristics, as yes. Horton often does. Yes. <laughs> hmm.